I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. Uh, it's kind of cool. This episode has unlocked some sort of achievement of badassness. I was able to squeeze in an interview with the DJ during his layover in Berlin. Uh, he had about six to eight hours to kill at the airport before the next flight. So we organized a last-minute chat here at uh, Casa de Lazan. Uh, he's someone who's been around for a long time, and his name is Christian Smith. Uh, although he wasn't born in Sweden, it's kind of hard to pinpoint where he's from, so to speak. Uh, he's lived in Sweden, Germany, the United States, Spain, and Brazil over the course of his life. I, m- I might even be missing a place or two. I'm not quite sure. And uh, over all the years, he's released a huge number of records on labels like Drumcode, Intech, and Sino, to name a few. But most of his output has appeared on his own label called Tronic. Uh, Some of you that have been around for a long time will remember a huge amount of big releases back in the day uh, when he did a little duo with John Selway as Smith and Selway. Uh, There was, well, he'll he'll mention it in the show, but there was probably close to three dozen records, and a lot of them were really big back then. Aside from being very busy in the studio, his DJ schedule has had him on the road every weekend for about two decades, uh, playing everywhere you can imagine. Um, on On the rare occasion that he is home, he's also been a really notable party promoter as well. Uh, speaking from the United States perspective, he used to do a party in New York back in the day as in, yeah, 15 to 20 years ago around there called uh, Tronic Treatment. And they used to do that at the Sullivan Room. I Actually, I don't even remember if we discussed it in the interview or not, but basically set it up as a place for his friends to come and play on Monday nights while they were in the States and, and had a layover. So you'd get a lot of interesting talents at the time, like Adam Baer and Marco Crolla and some of these guys that were not so popular in the rave scene uh, during that era. And, uh, yeah, there just wasn't many bookings like that back then. So I guess you could say he's kind of responsible for booking a lot of those sounds back then. Uh, After leaving the States, he helped start a party called Club 4 at City Hall in Barcelona. Um, Club 4 was originally a concept for a Thursday night party where there was uh, four residents. There was Christian Smith, Paco, Suna... Adam Bear and Marco Carolla, they would uh, they would each host a night uh, every week on Thursdays, and they would invite a guest of their choice or play all night long. Uh, I don't really know what the involvement for those guys is in Club Four these days. I think it might just be Paco Suna's party, but don't quote me on that because I have no clue. All I know is I've done it a couple times, and it was it was a lot of fun. As for Christian, we've been friends for the better part of a decade. He's a really grounded dude and has a really positive attitude. Uh, he's more of a family man than he is a, you know, a partier, and he's not into the druggy aspect of the scene or anything, which makes for a refreshing change on the road. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like him, and I'm happy that we were able to hang out and record a quick hour, hour and a half for the show. Uh, Just a quick heads up, the new Enemy release comes out uh, the last week of March, so you're probably already listening to this after that, 
go ahead and pick it up if you want. It's a four-tracker from Ambivalent with remixes from myself and Amatic. Um, yeah, spread the love on that motherfucker if you want to support the show. Uh, and Kevin, by the way, that's Ambivalent's real name, he'll be back for an episode sometime this spring. I'm not sure exactly when, but uh, for those who listen regularly, it'll come up soon enough. Uh, bye for now. All right, Christian. Well, thanks for coming in on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's kind of crazy. Um, we kind of planned this last minute because you're on. You're in the middle of a five or six hour layover right now, aren't you? Yes, I flew here this morning from from Mallorca, where I live, and I have a gig in Bosnia later tonight. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a nice uh, opportunity to really, you know, have you over and, and chat and get to know you a little bit. Well, it's nice that it worked out, you know. We, we've been friends for a long time, so yeah, I'm here at your place now and we're doing the show. Exactly. And I think the first time we met, I think we were ta- we actually just saw each other in India um, during Christmas or right between Christmas and uh, New Year's. Yeah, yeah, it was right before New Year's, exactly. Yeah, so anyway, um, we were talking about it and I think we, we first met like maybe eight or nine years. Well, we met earlier in detroit when you were doing the tronic parties okay um but like you know we chatted and played the same shows and shit for like the last eight or nine years and uh yeah we always kind of seem to run into each other on the road or like if you're in berlin we'll get a quick bite or something and yeah which is not you know th- th- that's the way it is i think between many of us you know you become friends you know you, you meet at gigs and and you keep in touch when you have time off yeah, can you bring your microphone a little closer to you? Okay, I will do that, like that. Yeah. It still, it seems like it has a little reverb, but hello, hello, hello. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. We're in a room of, it's all glass windows, so. Yeah, fine, fine. Oh, wait a second. I had the levels, uh, the channels crisscrossed. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'll edit all this stuff out. Okay, is not, now is it better? It's yeah, better. I was starting to go crazy. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, th- something was weird. Anyways, okay, now it's all good. Yeah, so, anyway, um... Let's kind of start from the beginning a bit. Now, you are Swedish originally, but is that or okay? Let me what, give you, let, let let's me give let you my you story. Let me give you my background. I um, <clears throat> I'm half Swedish. My mother is Swedish. My father is Norwegian, and I grew up most of my childhood in Germany because my father was a pilot and he was flying for Lufthansa. And um, yeah, so I was raised, you know, Norwegian, Swedish, and German at the same time. Um, yeah, and then I was 17, I moved to America. I finished high school in the States. I went to university in America, in Washington, D.C. Then um, I got a job as an investment banker for two years, and I absolutely hated it. I was working, you know, I had a good job. I was working 70 to 90 hours a week. I just didn't like the lifestyle. I didn't like the people. I didn't like what I was working on. And I thought, what can I do to, to, to get away from this? Mm-hmm. So I thought um, the only way to get away from this is, is by going back to university. So, mm-hmm. so I decided to move to Sweden. And there's a very good university called Stockholm School of Economics. Mm-hmm. And I, I was lucky that I got accepted there. And um, I pursued a master's degree in economics and an MBA in finance at the same time. And this was in the late 90s. I think, and um, I got to know all the Swedish guys, Adam uh, Bayer, Joel Moll, uh, Kerry Lekebosch, and blah, blah, blah. We all became friends. 
And while I was studying, I was also producing tracks. And um, a couple of those tracks became quite successful. And honestly, within a three-month period, I suddenly went from being a hobby hobby producer to a DJ with a full schedule worldwide. It was really That's, fast. and So it was quick. almost overnight then, unlike... You know, Almost. Something. I mean, and, and the funny thing is I didn't have, you know, it's not, you know, you have some producers these days that have like one massive hit and they become an over, overnight sensation. It wasn't like that for me. I had like three or four very solid records and I just built from there, you know, and um, yeah, and it worked out. So so I never actually finished my, my master's degree. I, I took all the classes in Stockholm, but um, I never finished. And, and what was the, the next master's degree going to be? This was a master's in economics and an MBA in finance. And um, yeah, my father was a little bit upset because obviously he, he wanted me to have the, the, you know, the, the plaque, the graduation sure. thing. But hey, at the end of the day, as, as, as soon as I stopped asking for money, he, he was okay. That's basically what happened <laughs> with my parents too. They're like... You know, and then eventually, in the beginning, times are tough for most people when they're starting out DJing, and of course it was for me too, and then after a while when they realized that I could pay for a lot of my own things and I wasn't struggling to get by, they're like, they kind of just dropped it. They're like, cool, you're happy, that's fine. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, but I mean, you, you kind of glossed over a couple things real quickly, like for example, you said you met Adam Bayer and, and Joel and Carrie and all those guys, like, how did that come to be? I mean, I realize it's a small town, but... Um, actually, before I moved to Sweden, I already got to know Adam. I already got to know all of the bunch because we we actually toured together in North America. So, so I I, I knew them already when I moved there, and mm-hmm. um, we we just became closer friends living there. And uh, yeah, I mean, like Stockholm is a small. It's it's a town of maybe a million people, but still, you know, the techno scene is very small. Yeah. You know, it's like consists of five to ten people. And, you know, you all know each other and, and, and you're all friends as well and support each other. Yeah. And um, I guess I was lucky being in Sweden at that time because Sweden had a big techno boom back in those days. So so I was kind of included in that a little bit and that helped my career. Mm-hmm. So like I said earlier, it went really fast for me. I went from nothing to suddenly making good amounts of money. It was really, really fast. But I mean, like, what, did you end up just going to a party one night with friends, or how did you fall into it all? Well, I was always passionate about music. I I became a DJ um, when I lived in Germany when I was fourteen. I mm-hmm. got my got my first decks. Then I then I got heavily into hip hop and um, battle ba- um, battle DJing mm-hmm. D- DMC. I even entered the DMC uh, championships in, in in the states when I was seventeen. Um, How'd that go? Uh, I was, you know what? I was. My skills are really good, but uh, when it came down to it, you have three minutes to qualify, and I was just too nervous, so I made a lot of mistakes. I, 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 I didn't do, didn't do that well. <laughs> yeah, that's it's got to be tough. And like back then, there was a lot of people that were really going for it. Like I don't, I don't know how strong the DMC stuff is these days. Or scratching. I don't think it's very popular anymore. Yeah. I mean, like it all kind of got got. I don't know, but in but, the nineties, but, but in the nineties, it was huge, huge. Yeah. huge. But in, and I, I've seen you play numerous times, but I think one of the first or second times I saw you play, you were playing back to back with Ben Sims in Detroit. 
um, during the festival. Mm-hmm. And you guys were both just, I, th- I think, for like a few hours, just busting out tricks and uh, doubles and three decks. And that was a good fucking time. Yeah, it was really funny because I used to do a few back-to-backs with Ben back in the days. And um, the way I look at back-to-backs, there's two ways of doing it. Either you play together and complement each other and build a good set. Mm-hmm. Or you play against each other and yeah. battle. And that was the way it was with Ben. We were trying to, just to outdo ourselves the whole time. Okay, so it, definitely one up in each other in a way. The whole time. The whole time. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. But I remember, especially in Detroit, that the, probably the night you saw us, um, it was, you know, the, the techno days, 138 BPM, blah, blah, blah. Totally. But, but suddenly it was like 145 and I told Ben, come on, man. It's like, I realize, we, you know, you want to be on top of things, but that doesn't mean you have to go that fast. And he's yeah. like, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was all very... Um, For fun. L- l- yeah. Really good fun, no egos. And yeah, it's, 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 it's really cool because, yeah, he has a lot of skills. And um, yeah, I have some skills as well. So so it, was, it just it worked out really well. And uh, I mean... I saw you play in India recently and stuff like that, and I I don't see you really doing those kind of tricks anymore, so to speak. Or. It depends. It depends on the crowd as well. That gig in particular in India wasn't. It was just okay. It wasn't really. Yeah. It was a bunch of rich kids, you know. So it wasn't really a raw warehouse, you know. Yeah. Sweaty. It, it all it all needs to fall into place. Sure. I mean, like for me, I was never great. At a lot of those things, like I could be juggle and do some basic scratching stuff, and I would do it a lot. If you download any of my sets from ten to twelve years ago, you'll find that on there. But like uh, these days, the, the records that are coming out, they don't really lend themselves to that vibe because they're not so loopy, drummy. It really depends yeah. what style you play, especially within techno. If you look at, uh, for example, Tronic or Drum Code techno, uh, all these. Most of the majority of those releases are properly arranged tracks, so yeah. you really don't need to do much. But then you have a, um, then you look at uh, truncate tracks; totally. those really lend themselves to to be messed with. Yep. So it, it all depends what what style within techno and you play. And I still like doing tricks. I mean, it's fun. Yeah. And I mean, like the, the kids. That's the thing. The kids don't really get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, anymore. I, I think I actually still do a shitload of tricks, but it's a little bit more. Let's say. Uh, on the on the trippier or psychedelic side, like I can, you know, playing stuff in reverse or like using some effects or like layering things to get a flanger effect. Not so much in the cutting and scratching sort of vibe, you know. That's cool as well, of course. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, you know, we all have our our way of uh, playing and entertaining, and it's not just about scratch. It's not just about tricks. I feel at the end of the day, the single most important thing is that you play good music. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, like, there's some DJs out there that that just get booked and are just known for doing for doing you know, lots of tricks. And I don't know. I, for me, it really is more important to play good music. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I would rather hear someone that plays great music badly than a perfect DJ that plays just really dull tracks. You know what I mean? I agree. Hundred percent. So. I mean, like. Look at many of the German DJs. You know they definitely are not known for you know being uh, very how should I say skillful is not the right word, but like doing lots of tricks and juggling. Yeah, they just kind of it's play, just like really play just, the music. Yeah, just play the music. And you know, look at some of these famous hyped guy like Dixon, for example. He's just a very clean mm-hmm. and you know whatever works. 
I think it's, it's all good. Totally. I mean, in, it's it's all in kind of the the eye of the beholder. You take someone like Zach Devious one, and he has built a name for himself as a dude that can play tracks at like 134 beats per minute. It's really stripped down and whatnot. But if you try to you know play those tracks at 128, and you're just kind of mixing for one or the other and not really working it so to speak it's going to be completely different and it, it just it won't really work well so. uh, some tracks are i think are almost meant to be to be to be messed with yeah especially the loopy stuff totally. because if you play a loopy track that's you know seven minutes long it gets boring as hell after a couple of minutes you, mm-hmm. you need to do something you know to, to keep the energy going totally um you know that that reminds me more about uh Someone that I guess we can't really discuss where you're coming from or your productions without mentioning John Selway. You guys were a big duo back in the day. For sure, for sure. And, um, I mean, how did you guys meet before Stockholm or after, or how did that all come into play? Well, I went to university in Washington, D.C. In the, in the early 90s, and John went to play at a rave in D.C. back in those days. And we met up basically. I I was there as a, as a um, you know as a raver basically, mm-hmm. and we had a good chat together. We kept in touch, and then we said, "Hey, why don't we you know try to work on a track one day?" And we did, and some you know we we had a good chemistry, and some good results came out of, out of that. And then I eventually I moved to New York, and he also lived in New York, mm-hmm. and then we started working a lot together because because of the chemistry, we we became good close friends. And we had very similar uh, backgrounds. Like, for example, we both really like Italo Disco from the early 80s, uh, early Electro. You know, we have a lot, of this, a lot of similar influences. So it was really fun, you know, going through samples and records together, what we want to sample for our tracks. And, um, yeah, we made some, we had some, we had a couple of big releases for sure. I mean, we did, I think, must have made around 30 releases together, maybe 50 remixes, quite a lot. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a big thing for for a while. I think you guys kind of did it kind of sort of, I don't want to say come to an end, but slowed down a lot when the whole minimal thing kicked in, or was it before that already? We slowed down primarily because I moved away from New York. I moved to Europe in 2000, was it 2000s? I don't know, 2004, 2005, Five. yeah. So obviously for geographical reasons, you know, it doesn't yeah. really work out, and... um when I moved to Europe for the first two, three years while I lived there, I was just playing loads of gigs, you know, mm-hmm. doing maybe like 150 gigs a year. And I didn't really release much music. And um, I played, I lived in Spain. I, I played a lot in Spain back back in those days. That was kind of where it was at for a while back then. and Probably, yeah. Not Be- so much anymore. No, I mean, I mean before 2008, the, the crisis started in Spain. But before that, Spain was kicking. I mean, totally. it was like... You had, you had clubs everywhere and you had really good crowds. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was really good fun. Spain Spain is still good now. But for example, back in those days, you would have a good club that's open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week. And now you have the same club. It's only open one day a month. Yeah, it's crazy. It's And it works that one day a month. But yeah, it's, it's the, the crisis is, is really bad in Spain. But uh, the crowds still like to party. I mean, I think most Latin countries, you know, Italy is really good as well. You know, South America, they like to Definitely. party. Yeah. Um, you know, you and then after after Europe, you moved over to Brazil for a while, and you're 
you got quite a big thing going in in South America. Um, well, well, it's it's interesting. I mean, like I moved to Bra- I moved to Brazil. I bought an apartment there, and um, and I have a Brazilian wife. But that's not the reason why I moved to Brazil. I moved to Brazil because I. I am one of those guys, I guess, that takes advantage of the job that that I have, mm-hmm. meaning that um, I can live anywhere I want as long as I'm close to an airport. So, you know, I lived in, in, in New York, I lived in Barcelona, I lived in Sao Paulo. And um, yeah, I moved to Brazil just because I wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really enjoyed, I lived there for almost four years, three and a half years. I really enjoyed living there. However, at the same time, it hurt my career a lot. Because uh, when when European, let's say, uh, Spanish or German promoter thinks, oh, I want to book Christian Smith. Oh, yeah, but he lives in Brazil. Yeah, f- f- forget about it. You know, I, yeah. I, I book somebody, somebody else that's that's nearby. Even though it, it, it wouldn't have made a difference in terms of flight share. But it's just, you know, they thought about it. And it's then, the mentality. It's a and, lot to commit to. And it hurt my career. I mean, like, my, my bookings in Europe went down a lot. And... um at the same time, my bookings went up in South America, though. So it's it's quite funny. But but after a while, I decided, you know, I'm very fortunate to be doing what I, what I love for a living. And the main market at the end of the day for techno is in Europe. So I moved back to Europe. And I also have a family now. So for kids to grow up in Europe, I feel, is much better than in South America, living in a bubble, going to private schools and all this kind of stuff. I hear you. And... You know, I, I guess what people don't realize, or I mean, some that are clued in do, um, Sao Paulo, I don't know if it's Brazil in total or Sao Paulo, but it started to get like really extremely expensive there, right? Like yes, pricing the, out the, Especially Sao Paulo, yeah. And yeah. like I moved there, I got I bought an apartment for, I got a very good price. It was cheap. But then over the next five years, everything probably like tripled in expenses. Like really, you you want to get a steak? You'd have to pay 50 euros, basically, just for the steak, you know, without wine, without anything extra. Really expensive. Jeez. Yeah, it was really insane. And now you're settled in Mallorca. Do you, do you see yourself sticking around there? Or? Yeah, I really like it because at the end of the I'm in Europe. I'm, I'm close. The airport is good. I can get pretty much everywhere direct in summertime. Except for today. Not in really. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Mallorca to Bosnia, that, that doesn't really work. Yeah. <laughs> But... Um, Generally, logistically speaking, it's a, it's a very good place. The, the climate is amazing. The food is great. Uh, yeah, I'm happy there. And, and I think I'm going to stay there for a long time to come. For, for a lot of people that uh, haven't been to Ibiza, um, Mallorca is near there. Would you recommend, say, spending a good chunk of your time in Mallorca and then just dipping over to Ibiza for the party thing and coming back? Or To be totally honest, you... You really just nailed it. Yeah. I mean, like, I like Ibiza. I go to Ibiza. I've been going to Ibiza every year for the last 15 years for gigs. So I know Ibiza very well. Um, I do know Mallorca very well, too, especially as I have been living there. But Mallorca is basically triple the size of Ibiza. So it's much bigger. You have um, The infrastructure is much better. You have um, loads of restaurants. The beaches are much nicer. That's the thing. Really? Not, yeah, the beaches are much nicer than Ibiza. You have Formentera which is an island outside Ibiza, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of beaches similar to that in Mallorca. So you don't have to take a boat to, to get to really nice beaches like you do in, in, in Ibiza. Yeah, it's a little. It, it actually is kind of tough to find a decent beach day in Ibiza. 
Because it's either too crowded or too windy or, you know, it's always something. I, I do like Ibiza. It, it is beautiful, but also it's in the last, I would say, two to three years, it's changed. The clientele has changed a lot. It's it's just different. It's really just, uh, it's mostly just bottle service people. You know, pe- um, the club owners are looking for, for clubbers that are willing to spend five 5,000 euros on, on, on booze. And um, yeah, that's, that to me has kind of destroyed the magic. I mean, of course, you still have good parties there, yeah. but it's not like what it used to be. Definitely not. And and I'm not a person that says, "Oh, the past was better. The past was better." It's an, I, I'm a very open-minded person, but it's just you know when I hear these things, oh, you want to go to uh, this guy's party? Or you want if you just want to sit down in a club, you have to spend five thousand euros to get a table. It's just it's a bit ridiculous. But that being said, um, what's going on for you right now as far as is there a particular area where you find yourself playing more than usual, like region or country, or is it still kind of just everywhere at the moment? It's funny you, you, you ask that because just earlier today I was thinking, sometimes I get envious of, you know, there's some DJs that play a lot, you know, do like 20, 30 gigs a year in Holland and um, do loads of gigs in London. Whereas I, I really play everywhere. It's mm-hmm. it's really um, it's an I should say it's it's really cool. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a but at the same really time, lucky I, thing. It, it, I'm very lucky, but at the same time, I have to travel like a motherfucker. You know, I fly so much, and and sometimes I wish, oh, I wish I could just be, um, I don't know, let's say Ben Sims, who plays like 50 gigs in in Holland every year, and and you know, London to Holland is a 45, 45 minute flight. You know, it's just life is easy. Yeah, but um, at the same time, I feel extremely lucky that that I get to see all these interesting places. You know, some are I get to see beautiful places in like Tokyo and not so beautiful places. You know, in other places, but mm-hmm. everything is interesting. And um, living in Europe, I'm at least closer to to the majority of my gigs. Whereas when I lived in South America, I would have had to fly so much, and, and logistically wasn't very smart. Yeah, I mean, coming from the States, I knew what it was like to make the, at the height of all my travel, it was like every week and a half, two weeks, I was bouncing between the countries, and it's just too much, and, you know, Brazil is even further away, I think, so it's... It's like a 12-hour flight, and then you have to take another flight to get to your gigs. Yeah, it's a nightmare. But, I mean, so, that being said, you, you are playing everywhere... And you're a guy that has very diverse tastes and something and, and whatnot, but is there a particular kind of vibe or style or group of producers that's really summing it up for you right now? Oof, it's really... Com- it, not really, because I, I, I play everything from, from house to hard techno. Mm-hmm. It, it really it really depends uh, what what genre you're talking about. But, you know, there, there's, there's so many good producers out there. It's... it's it's, it's hard to let me who do I like I don't know it's it's really a mix yeah I mean I can't even say right now where you're like um, it's really difficult. you gotta look at your record or your record box and <laughs> yeah. be like I like these guys but 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 but, uh, but artists that have really influenced me a lot in techno are uh, def- is definitely Luke Slater he's and, and one of my all time favorites yeah I think he's one guy that's who's been overlooked almost you know because in my opinion. In the same time when Jeff Mills was doing amazing tracks and Richie Hart was doing amazing tracks, Luke Slater was doing incredible stuff. Yeah, he really influenced me with um with his own Luke Slater name, as well as Planetary Soul Systems. You know, back in the in the early and mid nineties, mm-hmm. and it's just like it blew my it really influenced me and really impressed me as well. Yeah, and the the 
the consistency of his output is still really high. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, you can't... Well, I mean, every, every producer has a couple um, not-so-hot releases or whatever. Of and course, whatnot. of course. But, I mean, for the most part, you, you're always going to find something quality in every era of, of his career, and he's still doing it. He's still putting out cool stuff. The last album was nice. Um, and he does that LB Dub Corp um, alias, and that's like this really cool kind of, I don't know, Afro house-leaning, weird world beat shit, but it's really like a cool fusion type project you know yeah, he's a very talented guy I mean like uh, you know Richie obviously went on to becoming an entrepreneur and focusing on different projects whether mm -hmm. it's mixers sake or, or whatever you know and, uh, and Jeff I think Jeff kind of stopped making music you know he Jeff does, Mills yeah I think he does more like movie stuff well and like um, I mean he makes a lot of music but not not like club, it's, if that's what you're getting towards. No, but if you look at his releases in the last 10 years, you can count them on a hand. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to yeah. disrespect him, but he, his, his output is nowhere near the way it was when he, in the 90s, yeah. when, when he was really on fire. He's still a, well, he's still a fantastic yeah. DJ, you know, so no, no, no problem there. But like, same with Richie. Richie doesn't really make music anymore. No. He, I liked Richie's album last year, though. The uh, I don't remember what it's called on Plus 8. Oh, yeah, there were a few really cool tracks. Yeah. I, I agree, I agree. And, uh, I mean, of course, people, some listening to the show will still talk shit, and some will be like, it was a great album or whatever. But for me, I, I really liked it, and I think that, you know, I would gladly take a few of those kind of tracks every few months, you know what I mean? I mean, Richie is, without a doubt, one of the techno innovators. You mm -hmm. know, he is one of the main guys... That that formed techno of the in the early nineties without a doubt. So, Definitely, so, you know, if and if you're on top of the game, and at some point you're still going to be good down the road. You know, it's, your talent yeah. doesn't just suddenly disappear. You know, this guy is really talented, for sure. And the thing is, is the fact that, like you said, he became more of the entrepreneurial type. Uh, that for the most part has been successful as well and, and done tastefully you know Abs like absolutely the very, sake is damn good we yeah. had it on the show I love him <laughs> yeah I love and his sake I actually you know I'm mean, actually this is kind of common in general sake for me but especially with Richie's sake <laughs> I think the black dot is the cheapest one yes and it then is. it's the silver and then I forget what the, the, the top one is called but uh, I like the black dot one the most um, I, I I like them all, but I, I tend to agree with you. It's it's the most how should I say, most drinkable one in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, like the other ones, some of them get, get a little bit sweet. They're more challenging and have their own. They have to be paired with something. Yeah, no, they have their own special special things, characters. But um, yeah, no, I, I like all of them. And 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 the cool thing about his sake line is that he finds these really, he makes these partnerships with these really small micro breweries in japan definitely so he's not working with like some big market leader no he mm. really does his homework and um and and works and is really passionate about it so yeah, hey, yeah. kudos to him yeah i mean that's the thing like uh a lot of people will kind of they hear about the sake thing like whether that he drinks at the shows or that he's doing the company and they're, they're quick to talk shit but it's like no the dude is 
extremely passionate about it. He knows his shit. Of course. He's actually the one that got me into it because I he's like, you got to try sake. I'm like, I'm not trying that shit. I wanted nothing to do with it. He's like, trust me, you're going to want to try it. And uh, I tried it. I'm like, holy shit, I think I like sake. Now he's like, for how much it costs, you better. And he's like, stick around, I'm going to open another bottle. And I'm, I'm a really big fan of the stuff now. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's an acquired taste, but, but so is wine. You know, it's totally. like, and um, I love wine. I love sake, and um, I'm very fortunate that I get to go to Japan once and twice a year, and um, I drink lots of sake and, and when I'm there, and I, and I love it. You know, it's just. But anyways, now we're talking about booze. <laughs> that's what this show is all I like about. That. <laughs> <laughs> I also I love wine, and yeah, that's another great thing of living in Spain. I have access to really, really good wines for a very low cost. You know, you can mm-hmm. get a really good bottle of red wine for like five euros. So yeah. it's it's really nice. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing that I I think I didn't realize because I got more into wine as I was in Europe uh, as opposed to the States. And then when I go back to the States and you want to get a decent bottle of wine, it's, in my opinion, going to be at least 12 or 15 bucks. Where it's here, you can get it for six or seven. Yeah, yeah. So. the States, you have a huge... Um, Huge variety and, and yeah, uh, loads of choice, but it's it tends to be a little bit more expensive. And also in the restaurants, the markups on on wines are like oh, yeah. double or triple. That's the same here, though, too. Not in Spain, really. It's funny you can get, let's say, um, a bottle that costs twenty euros in the supermarket it costs maybe twenty six in the restaurant. Oh, that's super fair then. And that's really cool because it's because it's part of the culture. Whereas. In other countries, it's a luxury item. That's how you make your money as a as a restaurant is to really in the in the alcohol sales. Because um, I know a lot of the like the, kind of the general rules like thirty percent of your cost is food costs and stuff, and it's kind of hard to recoup money after you know. Very true. That, so. I mean, like for example, I went to El Bulli. Oh, you've which, been there, yeah, a few times, and it, 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 and it was uh, one of the top restaurants in the world. There's a movie about it for those who are curious el bully anyways it was um i went there and it wasn't so expensive and it was rated the top restaurant in the world mm-hmm. i think five years five years in a row and yeah um the wine prices again was like 20 30 percent markup not much but in the end they closed because they never made any money is Even, that why they closed though I, I don't know i mean like it was all it was always booked out solidly yeah. booked out but they invested so much money for example just they made they made plates to accompany the dishes, and they spent around six hundred to eight hundred thousand euros a year just designing plates, you know, for the dishes. Yeah. You know, just like they had crazy expenses also in researching the foods and experimenting. So yeah, this was a really innovative place. But thankfully, they have another restaurant called Tickets, which has many of the signature dishes um, on the menu. And this Tickets restaurant is in Barcelona. So if you ever go to Barcelona, try to get a table of Tickets. Do it, um, and I'm sure you got to book that out months in advance as well. It's it's a bit difficult. So do it the same time you get your flights. And, and and if you happen to be friends with Ali Dubfire, he can he can always help you out. There you go. <laughs> He's another guy that knows his food. Oh, big time, really big well time. Ali, Ali is, a, is a hardcore foodie, and it's it's one of his big hobbies and passions. And um, you know what? I think all of us DJs, you know, we we make music, we we travel the world, and by traveling the world. We get to taste all different cultures and uh, foods and, and, and drinks and listen, listen to the stories of the people. And um, it becomes really interesting, you know. It's yeah. like, and it's really, I, you know, I've learned so much traveling over throughout the, the years. And it's a, f- a fan- 
something uh, you know I'm extremely grateful for and you know uh, we develop hobbies you know like ali is a hardcore food um food um connoisseur food, foodie yeah. and um i am a little bit too but i just i don't have the time because of, i have a family i have i have two kids and um you know i i i i splurge once in a while when i when i travel on to when i'm on the road but i, I don't eat this fancy stuff all the time i do appreciate yeah. it but i don't need it now i hear you like if the promoters flip in the bill, I will be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> if it's me, you know, I don't mind once in a while. But usually, exactly. like I said earlier, I'm really a fan of like, what can I do for twenty to forty bucks? Because you can get really amazing food at that. Absolutely, price, so. and also when it comes to really high end food, if you have it all the time, you don't appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's it's like with anything. You you you, you know, you, you, if you drive a Bentley all the time. You don't care after a while, yeah. but but if you have it once in a while, very you know, then it's really like wow, you know, that's the way I look at it at least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're getting a little bit off the beaten path of food, but that's all right. That's all right. Um, we were talking. I guess what started all that was like Richie and Nasaki and everything like that. Um, you mentioned Richie and Luke Slater. Is there anybody else kind of that you really thought were like within techno? Those. Richie looks later, and Jeff definitely were my main. What about House? Oh, House! I I'm a big Chicago House fan. Well, Chicago comes from uh, House comes yeah. from Chicago, but um, yeah, I, Marshall Jefferson and um, Lil Lewis and and all these people are immensely influenced me as well. And it's funny, you know, people these days don't really talk much about House or even the the heritage of House. You know, many people. They don't even know where house is from, I think, you know, and, and, and I play, in, I, you know, when I go to Chicago these days and, and I do gigs there, I don't know, it seems to, the like the house magic that was in Chicago seems to kind of be gone. You know, they care more about yeah. EDM or even techno for that matter. But um, yeah, I, 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 I remember I loved all these uh, old tracks uh, DJ International Records, all these old Chicago labels back in the days. Uh, Acid, Acid House. It was just really inspirational times. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's the <coughs> that's the kind of stuff that you know. Well, we got a bunch of kids outside. That's the kind of thing uh, I would grow up going to parties for because it would be multiple genres, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, being so close to Chicago, that's what you would basically hear. As opposed, like if you're on the East Coast, you're going to get all the tribal house and whatnot and Junior Vasquez and whatnot. I mean, what was really interesting with Chicago was that um, back in the 80s, you know, in the poor neighborhoods, um, whereas in New York they were listening to hip-hop, in Chicago they listened to house music. Yeah. And that's, you know, really cool. And um, actually my very first record deal I ever had was on a Chicago label and it was on on DJ International Records. It was was a very big label in, in the 80s. And I remember I met the owner, Rocky Jones. He looked very, very shady. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, I was 17 years old and uh, I signed like a 20-page contract <laughs> and it was like exclusive for like 20 years, God knows what. <laughs> and Basically then, owning your soul. <laughs> he, he paid me, I think, he paid me a good advance. I mean, it was like, oh, good. I mean, it was $1,500 and I was like, whoa, this is so much money. I was 17 years old. But back then, that was still a lot of money. Yeah, I know. And um, I, I, to be honest, I didn't care about the money. I just, I mm-hmm. was just ecstatic 
about getting a, a record deal with one of the le- leading house labels. Yeah. And what I did back then is I called up the the record company and I played them the tracks over the phone. Really? This is the way wow. I, this is the way I solicited my music. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, this sounds cool. C- come on over and l- let me have l- listen to this in the studio. And and then I got the deal and then in the end the the track never came out because of some some problem this was before this was before how should I say before that even so the, um we recorded it on a quarter inch tape tape recorder and they didn't want to tr- they they were too lazy to transfer it to to, to a 2 inch which they use for all of their productions i don't know what anyways the, i got i got the advance but the record never came out so i was i was a bit upset about that understandable anyways after that i i managed to get a few a few other record deals throughout my career and then, but I mean, like, do you still have that track where you could listen back to it or no? Or? Actually, I don't. That, another problem is with me moving around so much, things get, things get lost. Yeah. You know, I, I would say I had, a, I had a huge record collection, maybe. And, you know, maybe not huge, but yeah, maybe 15,000 records, you know, mm-hmm. a big amount. And, you know, living, moving from New York to Barcelona to Brazil, you know, to, to Mallorca. In the end, I just decided to get rid of all of my records because just, it's just not. Um, it's a pain in the it's ass. Not fe- it's not feasible. It's you know they take up a lot of space. They cost a lot to to ship. I love vinyl. I love records, but uh, I don't play. I, I don't play with that format when I travel now anymore. And uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I still have a ton of my records in the states. They're at my studio in Minneapolis, and I thought about moving them over, and it's like. For what I am going to pay to move those records, I could probably rebuy a bunch of them on Discogs, or at least the ones that I actually give a shit about. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Of course, of course, so of course. They're going to sit there. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. But um, so you, you're not playing records anymore. Are you doing, like, do you have any sort of special setup or... Uh, not really. I'm 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 a very simple person. I mean, like I, I do like my tricks and blah, 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 but I, I am not a laptop DJ. I... I play I I play with four CDJs, and um, I play a lot on three decks still, and go back and forth. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I just play with USB sticks. It's a pretty awesome technology. <laughs> that and and uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't like Pioneer, but I play with the Pioneer nine hundred because uh, the effects are still fairly decent. And 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 to be let's face it, the new Pioneer, the S two, the nine hundred sounds really good. So so. It sounds good and it has effects, and I can just come to a gig with my USB sticks and ready to go. Plug in and go. Yeah, nice. And so, when you're doing the uh, when you when you're playing lately, you've been traveling a lot, kind of in support of this. Uh, is the album tour over, or would you say it's still happening? No, it's over. It's, okay, I, I think I did my last album gigs. Um, I, I think it's tonight, actually. <laughs> okay, so I think tonight. I, I thought it was last week, but no, I think tonight is still an album gig. But it's it's the last one I did. You put an album out last year called Input Output. Yes, that came out uh, end of September, so you know roughly five months ago, and I did um, fifty gigs, fifty album gigs in like twenty plus countries. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, like next weekend I have off. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at my calendar, and the last time I had a weekend off was in September, yeah, early Damn. early September. So a long was time. that when I saw you in Ibiza, probably? 
or were you playing that weekend as well? I was playing that. We, oh wait, I, that was I, during the week. I saw you mm, during the right. week exactly, and yeah. I was just—I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm really happy that I, I can work a lot. But sometimes, you know, you sometimes I reach the level of, of burning out, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, like I, one way I justify myself is saying, "Hey, I only worked, I only traveled two, three days a week." Whereas other people work 50, 60 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's a bit arrogant to, to say, oh, I need time off. Because at the end of the day, what we do is not so difficult. You know, it's like it's, you, not. it's, it's, it's just but, a couple of days a week. But I mean, all right, that's true. And that's, there's, there's a couple different perspectives. But I think about this too, and a lot of people give me shit. They're like, oh, Zan, all you do is show up and party. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly how it goes. So yeah, there are people that work 50 hours a week. Um, probably people that are listening to this podcast as we speak. And then there's, you know, so let's say you're going to play two sets this weekend and each is two hours. That's technically four hours on the clock. But, I mean, right now you are in the middle of a layover on your way to Bosnia. Um, that's a eight-plus-hour travel day just to get there. Exactly. Then you got to, like, it's always an hour from the airport to get to the hotel, check in, probably go through some playlists last minute like so it's it's constant going and you could say well yeah but you're just sitting on a plane or sitting in a uh in an airport it's like sure that might be the case but it's not like you re- you can watch some movies or something on a flight don't get me wrong but there's still a lot of this like constant going and you're doing it on very lack of sleep you're not a party animal but some people do even if you're not partying uh those late nights and even a drink or two really adds up and it crushes your body so it's perfectly understandable if monday comes around you're like listen don't i'm not answering the phone you know <laughs> yeah and, it's, and it's that's tr- 40 hours that weekend right there you know? very true and and another thing people don't really think about is that we all have to work a lot just to maintain our career you know big time to, to keep up the demand for the dj gigs to come in you need to be uh releasing music all the time yeah. you need to be doing uh guest podcasts you know, like this one today. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not why I'm here. But um, I'm here because you're friends. Yes. But but um, in all honesty, you know, we have to put a, a lot of time into our careers to to maintain it. It's, yeah. It's like when I started in the in the in the mid ni- mid to late nineties, I, w- I was very lucky. You know, I produced the, maybe three four records a year and I had a full schedule. There were no podcasts. There was maybe they had PR agencies, yeah. but DJs didn't use them. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really, that was easy. You know, I just went record shopping once a week, took my record case, checked onto the flight and did my gigs. But now I spend at least 20, 30 hours a week just um, maintaining my career. Yeah, I mean, it's it's now more than ever because there's, I mean, there's always a shitload of DJs back in the day, but um feels... I don't know, maybe like, the well, let's put it this way. Maybe there's not as many DJs, but there's more successful DJs in a way, or like people that are getting tracks out. So like, what's to stop somebody from taking a gig from you or me if, you know? There's always somebody that is willing to do your job for exactly. half or a third of the price. So you need to justify, mm-hmm. you know, what, you need, you need to justify your ticket sales, basically. Yeah. You know, if if you sell tickets, you'll be booked. If you don't sell tickets, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and in part of you know selling those tickets is unfortunately these days it all comes down to crap like Instagram or podcasts or whatever like you said, and it's really not just about putting out the music. Uh, I, I call it a, a necessary evil. 
you know, this whole mm-hmm. s- social networking. It takes so much time out of my schedule. Mm-hmm. And I know a couple of friends of mine, successful DJs, they pay other people to do it for them. But I feel that's also not right. You know, yeah. it's like, so I, I do it for my, I do it myself. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's not very uh, inspiring that I have to put Instagram, Twitter, you know, Facebook. It's, sure, you know, it's good to be in touch with your fans. Yeah, yeah, of course. But at the same time, this all takes, this takes time away from you being creative in the studio. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I really kind of, we were talking about not having a whole lot of time earlier before we started the microphones you know, in the studio. So when you get in there, you got to hustle. And I feel like, you know, even these days, like I'm DJing on the weekends. So during the week, I don't have kids or a wife or anything. So in theory, I should have all the time in the world, right? Yet somehow I still don't. Of course, I can manage my time a little better. I'm not going to lie to you about that. We but all for the we most, all, we yeah, all can. We all could. But for the most part, it's like there's always something coming up where it's like, like I told you, I'm dealing with some visa stuff here in Europe, or you got to prepare a podcast for somebody, or you're dealing with a tour, and now there's some politics involved between promoters. It's always like you're, you're burning up time with stupid shit. Of course, you know? of course, of course. And and I have a family, so so you know, I I gotta like juggle all these things at the same time. But you know, we all do. With, we all work with what we have, and um, it's all about. I think life is all about having a good balance and, and doing what you're happy with. And 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 if you're good at it, yeah, yeah, things should work out fine. Definitely. And that being said, and you already mentioned this before, like there's times where do you regularly reach these kind of periods of burnout, or is it once in a great while? Or? Once in a great while. I, I had it um, once last year. I think it was. I don't know. After a sixteen gig month, sixteen gigs in one month, and just lots of flying, and and I went to the airport for another gig, and, and I now just thought to myself, I'm so sick and tired of these airports. You know, it's just yeah. like I don't want to fly. I'm just, it wasn't even about the gig. You know, like what, during the during the performance playing, that's the fun part. But it's the shitty part with like you know with the delays, blah blah blah. I, I know for you listeners. You probably thinking, oh, he's complaining about traveling again. It's so easy. It's not. It all adds up. You know, it's like yeah, no, I, I agree. But the thing is, people say that a lot too. And the thing is, let's say you're going on a family vacation or you're going out to see your old high school friend or something, and it's just a two or three hour flight. Um, it still takes up probably six hours of your day at least by the time you drive there, drive back, and everything. And whether you're excited or not, you're still like, damn, that was kind of a long day, right? Yes. That for anybody and, and people that fly for business, if they fly an hour and a half in the morning and then do an office day, like man, that was a long day. Now imagine doing that. You, if you're playing on your schedule, if you're doing three gigs a weekend, that means you're probably traveling four to five days a week. Yes, yeah, yeah for sure. And um, that's it's it's a shitload to deal with. And no, and I remember also last year after one of those hectic months, my wife said, "Hey." Um, this was the day before I came home after like loads of gigs. And she said, oh, let's go to Barcelona for a couple of days with the family. I said, like, please, please, I just want to stay home. <laughs> yeah. I don't, want, I don't want to come home and then just go away again. I just want to. But I'm, in that respect, I'm extremely lucky living where I live. I mean, I live in Mallorca. It's, it's very beautiful there. And I can just go to the beach there. I live in a place where people, you know, spend the holidays at. So, yeah. so I'm very fortunate in that way. And... Um, I don't really take any vacations. I was just thinking about that. Um, I, last year, I took one week holiday. I went skiing with my family. 
But other than that, I don't take holidays because I don't feel I need. Because when I'm home, that's that's my holiday. It's a staycation. Yeah, I mean, like you know, yeah, switching off. I can't really switch off. You know, I wish I could, but at the end of the day, if I would really switch off and let's say for a month do nothing, my career would implode. Yeah. You know, like we're all self-employed here. And I need to. I don't need to spend hours online. I can do it minimally and and outsource a lot of the work to agents and mm-hmm. managers, blah blah blah. But uh, at the end of the day, nobody cares as much as your about your career than than yourself. Yeah. And um, and if you let the ball drop, you know your your career can implode within a few months. I've seen it happen to some. Oh yeah. Some, like one um, mutual friend of ours, actually. I'm not going to say the name. Uh, he was he was very very hyped. Um, this was a long time ago. He was very very hyped, and then he said, "Oh, you know, so many gigs. I'm going to take two months off, uh, go, go on a big holiday." He did, and after those two months, his career went down big time. And it took yeah. he's back, but it took him a long time to come back. And um, you know, it's it's very unforgiving out there. Yeah, you can't you you can't pass it up. You know, another one of our mutual friends. He said, "Like, I would love to take six months off, but it's just." It would be all over after that, and then it's the truth. Yes, um, and and things are only going to get a bit quicker, and that's not just for music; that's in everything. Like cause in any job in the world, you know, if if you want to be successful, you got to work your ass off. You can't take too much time off, and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I think you know, it's like look at the restaurant business. You know, if if you're a famous chef, you know they can't. You know, you need to be there all the time. And okay, definitely. Plus, DJs, it's I think being a chef is much tougher than being a DJ. Oh yeah. So you know we're lucky, but um, yeah, like I said, anything you want to do, you need to work hard. Definitely. Now, part of that involves being in the studio. Um, you want to get a little nerdy for a minute on the on the studio sure, stuff. Sure. All right. Uh, you know, I guess like let's talk about your your album because that's the most recent kind of big thing that you've done. Uh, you know. What kind of went into the process for that? Was it a collection of tracks or? Um, I have produced. I think this was my fourth album. I really enjoyed doing albums because it gives me the opportunity to um, think outside the box and release tracks that I would normally not release in singles. Mm-hmm. I find it. I really enjoy this challenge, and I feel it helps me evolve um, as an artist. And um, yeah, I. I really enjoy it as well. I, I I really enjoy putting together projects with within different styles of techno, but um, still being cohesive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's yeah very very important for me as an artist to to create these kind of projects. I really enjoy them. I mean, like I don't yeah. personally, I don't understand how there can be. There's quite a few DJs out there, producers that only do singles and always the same style. And they don't release albums, and the fact that they don't get bored doing that, yeah, I, I just don't understand. Well, I mean, for the, a lot of those people at that point are now just sustaining their their gig schedule and and trying to make sure that whatever comes out is cohesive with what they're playing and stuff. Exactly. Now, but, but but is that that's not really being creative? That then you might as no. well just be an investment banker. But know? I mean, I, I don't really think that they're not necessarily saying I don't care about being creative, but they're not really shying away from the fact that they they're not too concerned about that either you know true and i mean so the thing is is you have um a lot of guys now that are like only doing singles and I, i've talked to guys a lot lately and I, i'm a firm believer still in albums even though it's 
Even it's the, archaic. People don't listen to albums that way, but I think it's a personal, it's an inner thing. And, and the format is kind of dying, and the sales are very poor these days on albums. I'm the first one to admit it. I, I mean, on Tronic, we, we still do albums, and I see they don't really do well. But I firmly believe in in, in in the in the in the how should I say in the product, you know, in challenging yeah. yourself as an artist um, to to think outside the box, and I think this is really important. Definitely, you know, and like, and how are you supposed to potentially reach like a new level or era in your? I don't want to say career as in like making money, but just as an artist, you know what I mean? Uh, exactly. Or as a person, you're not gonna reach that by usually by singles i mean it's possible but uh, i don't know about that i agree you know there's, there's you know it's just i i if to any to anybody listening if there's any any producers out there that hasn't done an album try to do it you know mm-hmm. you, you will grow a lot as an artist and um and they have fun projects to work at work on yeah i mean you know because I, I think the biggest problem that a lot of people face is Especially if they've put out a few records, or they're like, "Oh, I just I have trouble keeping it exciting or interesting," and it's like, "Well, that's because you're not really, you know." Like I was telling you today before you came over, I've been making tracks like 135 BPM, 140. <laughs> I'm never gonna play that fast, uh, but it's fun. just just to see what happens, just yeah, dicking course, around. Like when course. you're a teenager, you just see. Because I got so used to like, okay, just set it to 128 BPM, and put the things where they need to be and hopefully it sounds great and i still have nothing wrong with that i'll do that probably again this week but um it's good to kind of throw yourself out of your comfort zone and be like oh yeah that does sound interesting when it's this much slower this much faster of course of course of course yeah so i mean like i made two tracks last week at 128 and for me that was fast (laughs) yeah (laughs) to to be totally honest i haven't done a track at 128 and like Maybe five years. What are you usually doing, man? Like 126, 125, mm-hmm. even 124. Yeah. Because I feel when I produce tracks, it's it's okay to be slow. And you can still speed them up when you play them out. You know, For me, it's all about the groove. And when it's slower, you can pack more. <clears throat> you can do more with the bass. You yeah, know, in and, between. And, and do more with the groove. However, when you do faster stuff... The loopy techno really, really gets its magic from exactly. from the more speeder side of things. So you know, it's it all works. Yeah, and the other part of it is, is I, I think a lot of this is what I used to do back in the day because I was I was just learning on my own. There was no techno school or anything, but to compensate for not being able to like have these like hard aggressive sounds, remind you, this is nineteen ninety nine two thousand. I just made it fast as hell. I'm like, well, we're gonna make it one forty two BPM <laughs> to create that intensity or that urgency but really once you start to produce a little bit more and especially these days when slower bpms are acceptable some of these tracks at like 124 bpm are much heavier and harder than a track at like let's say 136 you can you don't have to worry about the distortion or adding 18 different hi-hats because all you need is the right uh one, one that f- element groove, yeah, right yeah. in front of you you know yeah, what i mean yeah, totally um, agree. you know like i don't know if you remember those kind of like old planet rhythm records or something yes uh i mean those were pretty fucking hard and fast but, <laughs> yeah but i mean like i i remember back in the day because i i liked the sounds but they're too fast for me i pitched them down to like minus eight and they actually were felt even harder you know okay, what i mean okay. because just the you you spend more time with each sound. Everything flies by too quickly when it was that much faster, you know. So, yeah, like for example, Chris Liebing, 
you know, he was he was very famous for playing really hard and fast techno, Schrunz, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, he came up with this German term, Schrunz. But um, then, I think it was already around 10 years ago, he decided, hey, I want to make a big change. Mm-hmm. And he went down like 10 BPM. And that doesn't mean that he's suddenly much softer. You know, he went, he went down BPMs, yeah. but he was still really, really powerful. Oh, yeah. Really powerful. And um, that, just, that, that just goes to show that you know, you can be. You don't have to be fast to be hard or powerful. Definitely. And now, when you when you were like making the album, is it all pretty much in the box or? No, this album I did a lot of um, a lot of analog stuff. I recorded it at a good friend of mine, Weber, at his mm-hmm. studio, and he has a, a lot of you know Jupiter Eight, all the toys, um, yeah, like really nice analog gear. So. He also mixed it down for me, so that, that helped me a lot because he's fucking good <laughs> in the studio and much faster than me. So, yeah, I use a lot of a lot of analog stuff. Um, I always liked warm sounds, and I'm also a firm believer that you can get these warm sounds inside the computer. You do yeah. not, you do not need you do not need um, outboard um, synths as well as uh, big fat compressors. Sure, it's nice if you have them, but it's really not necessary. Mm-hmm. Just like I was telling you last um, earlier today, I, I collaborated with Harry Romero last week. We made a few tracks, and he's a legend. I mean, like he he basically made all everything for a lot of a big percentage of the releases on Subliminal. He produced. Mm-hmm. He did all the stuff for Eric Murillo, blah blah blah. And and now he's 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 um, how should I say he is. So really cool guy and really open minded musically, and uh, so he, we decided to work together. and And I, learned, I just working together with him was really interesting because he basically only used three to five plugins. That's it. Mm-hmm. No need to have. He has, he has some outboard big compressors and stuff. Doesn't use them. You know, it's so like he, he he used one good EQ, two good compressors, and um, a few other small um, plugins, and that's all you need to use. Yeah. To, to get a good sound. I mean, it comes down to it's okay. it's of course saying, but like bullshit in, bullshit out. Like it depends on the sound. If you have a good sound, you don't need to run it through all these effects. But exactly, and, but also having said that, uh, you need to have good acoustics, and you no- mm-hmm. need to know your room. You need to know the sound that you that that comes out uh, on your monitors will be the same in the club. Definitely, like uh, I heard, uh, I don't know if he wants his name mentioned, but like a really prominent techno dude was making a lot of his tracks on 100 euro uh, M audio monitors for the longest time. <laughs> and these were like monstrous hits, you know, and comes down to knowing well, your, sp- uh, uh, knowing your speakers. Um, for example, Eric Prids, mm-hmm. he does most of his tracks while he's on tour on headphones. Pig and Dan, um, mm-hmm. very close friends of mine. Their stuff sounds really fat. Yeah. They mix everything on headphones. Really? Yes. Nice. It's just, you know, it's each to their own, you know. If yeah. if it works, it works. There the, 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 the are I think there are no rules and um but one rule but one thing for sure having a big fat studio doesn't necessarily make it definitely doesn't make you a better producer. No. I mean it, of course it can open up possibilities, but it it's it's not going to make or break anything, you know. No, no, no. For me I I started buying a bunch of studio stuff again when I needed to have tax write-offs. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't have taken the leap back into hardware because once I sold off most of that 
when I was living on my own in my early 20s, I this was at a time where I didn't think I was ever going to go back to like a hardware synth or I was going to, I thought I was done with records because I got into the tractor thing for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, the time vinyl or whatever it's called. And of course now that, that period kind of came and went and I've got nothing against that either. I Of course. But of course. Uh, yeah, things change. And I mean, I, I could still write 20 tracks in the box on the computer despite having this gear sitting on the table here. It wouldn't bother me one bit. No, no, whatever no. Whatever gets it done. Exactly, exactly. So that being said, um, we're coming up a little bit here, and you got to get to the airport shortly. I still got some time, but yeah. a little time. But yeah. um, before we get to the end of the show, I want to talk about like where you're going to kind of be heading out to next, or if there's anything coming soon that you're going to follow up the album with. Well, I have just I'm always producing. I I my how should I say my my aim for 2017 was to release much much less, mm-hmm. but unfortunately that. The plan didn't quite work out. <laughs> so right now I'm putting together a collaboration series. I um, I made two tracks with John Selway last week. I made three tracks with Harry Romero. I'm also going to go in the studio with uh, Victor Ruiz, a guy from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Next time I'm in Brazil. And with Pig and Dan as well. And probably release all these tracks together as one big project uh, later in the year. In addition to that, I'm working on a really cool project actually. Something I came up with a few months ago I'm gonna re- release an album well I'm not I will not re- I will not make the, I will make one track but basically I'm asking a bunch of people who are heavily inspired by early electro mm-hmm. to to submit a track and so far the uh, the artists that I've confirmed are, uh, are um, the Advent CJ Bolland Left Field um, Steve Rahmad the list goes on you know a lot of big techno names that are really influenced by dance floor electro yeah and, I, and they're all submitting a track and i'm going to do a big compilation um why am i doing this um is it going to sell well probably not but it's just something it's fun I, right something i'm passionate about yeah, exa- yeah exactly and 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 just like the albums before it's just it's cool to do different things once in a while yeah and um that, that's a project i'm really passionate about it's going to come out i think september october it's still some time away because I have to run after all these, you know, there's like 12 producers involved and I have to run after all of them and, you know, man, ch- basic ch- chase after them. And it's, you know, it takes time. I know the deal. And especially with this show, half the, that the reason I haven't had a lot of episodes lately is because you got to chase after guys and some have honest excuses and others not so much, <laughs> but that's, that's musicians for you. But at least you're lucky you live in Berlin and there's so much talent here. So, so you know, there is from all over the world. That yeah. you can, and, and, they, and everybody comes to DJ here as well. Yeah. So. Problem is they're here on the weekends and I'm not. That's so. true, of course. You know. <laughs> but we make it happen somehow. Um, but you, you were saying that, uh, is that going to be on Tronic, that Electro album? Yes, or? yes. It's all going to be in Tronic. I mean, that's, okay. that's my label. And um, Tell us about what else is coming. I have, um, there's going to be three artist albums coming out on Tronic this year as well. Um, by uh, One by Eric Sneo, just came out on Monday actually. He is a German guy. And another one by Drunken Kong, they're from Japan. They're really up and coming. I really like the energy. And um, I suggested that they do an album. They've only done maybe 10 singles. They're fairly new artists. Uh, just because, like I said earlier, I want them to experiment with their sound. And I think it's going to be good for them. Victor Ruiz from Brazil is also going to do an album on Tronic. And that's going to come out some, I don't know, October, November. 
and yeah this electro album and my collaboration projects and in between yeah tronic is is very busy we do three releases a month so oh so, wow yeah i yeah it's, it's it's a lot of work uh it's uh, you know a lot of fun and um yeah it's i have but i'm like doing it yourself or you got a no, partner or? i was just gonna say <clears throat> i'm very lucky that i have um I have one full full time employee who who takes care of all the label management. I mm-hmm. could not do it by myself. You, you, you need to be really organized. And for I have um, a good vision, I I think, mm-hmm. and I I think I'm a fairly good A and R, but um, I'm not very organized. So so <clears throat> I have this this woman Rena. She's fantastic. She is very organized. She puts everything together. Without her, uh, Tronic would not where would not be today where it is. Well, that's a that's a awesome thing, you know. I mean, when you have someone that can really help you to elevate it to another level, you know. I well, mean, these days, I think it's all about if you want so, if you want to do something right, you got to have a good team. One hundred percent. It's it's all about good teamwork, working with good people, uh, associating yourself with good people, and, and you know, and I also you know, like in the late nineties, there, there was a time I felt where everybody was fighting on their own, mm-hmm. and now I feel. Um, Working together is much better for everybody. You know, you work together, you, you get better results. And and I really, I really have that vision right now. And 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 I try to work, try to push that work ethic as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you help somebody, eventually somebody else will help you back with something. Too. Yeah, I mean, I also I think it's kind of one of the benefits of the sales kind of taking such a dive. Like there isn't much to lose. You know, in the sense of like. Uh, you know, for example, me with my label, I have people that help me run it now. Whereas five years ago, I was far less likely to want to hand over the reins a bit. A, because I like to have control of my baby. But B, what if there's some money involved? And now that there's not so much money, you don't really care. It's like, this person can help me. They share a similar vision. Let's do it. You know? Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, let's face it, you know, with MP3 sales, nobody makes a lot of money. Yeah, really nobody, and I can say this with, with confidence, because Tronic is uh, right now is the second highest selling techno label uh, in the world by numbers, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And I, you know, I have one employee only, one person working for me, and once I pay her, there's almost nothing left. You know, oh, yeah. just, which is also also a scary thought because this means that like ninety nine percent of the labels lose money. It's yeah. it's, it's really. It's a scary. It's it's quite scary if you think about that. This industry is just and and stuff like uh, Spotify. If you think of Spotify, everybody thinks, oh, it's great. Yeah, but at the end of the day, back uh, in, if you listen to radio, radio makes you want to buy something. Yeah. But if you listen to Spotify, it makes you not you want to buy it because you have it right there. Yeah. So it's 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 really bad for for music producers if you think about it in that way. Hmm. Yeah. I. I mean, I generally, it's not a love-hate relationship with Spotify. It's more hate. I find myself <laughs> kind of using it a bit more these days because there are some times where you're just like, oh, I'd love to hear that song, but you don't want to. I have it but, as well, and, and just but, the sheer convenience is, is really good. Sure, but I still, and it, you know, I don't want to be like a dinosaur or like my dad and like get stuck in my own old ways or something. But Of course not. Um so I I try to kind of give Spotify a chance and be like, well, this is the future of it. But then I'm sitting there and I'm like, fuck, man, I don't know. This is this this isn't right, you know. Or what happens if you want to go to the beach and you don't have internet 
or like you're in Thailand or something, and you don't have data, you can't you you can't stream that shit. So you have to at the very least buy or steal the MP3s. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's a good point. I'm not down on streaming, but it is the future, so I got to roll with it. It is. I mean, I mean it keeps every, everything keeps on evolving so fast. Also, the, the format of, of of singles, everything changes like every year. It feel, mm-hmm. I feel at least, and yeah, it's 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 challenging. And it's like we cannot, as a label owner, I cannot ignore, you know, Spotify and and and, and Amazon and, and and all these these kind of outlets. But at the same time, they definitely do not help MP3 sales on on Beatport or Juno. Yeah, I mean it's it's if anything's going to have a negative effect. Exactly, you know? exactly. But at the same time, um let's say, you know, your new track that comes out this week does really well and a bunch of kids are kind of sharing it in playlists on Spotify and it gets uh 100,000 listens over the next couple months, that might mean a few extra gigs for you. So you never know. I mean, it's Ex- such a hard correlation. You know what? To determine um- I've been in this business. I've had Tronic for twenty years now, and never looked at Tronic as a source of income. To be honest, it yeah. was just um, business a, card of sorts. It was just a bus- it's just like an output for, for my music and a business card. You know, like we artists make our money performing, mm-hmm. uh, DJing. We we don't make money with. I mean, like who does make money? I I don't know. Are there any electronic? I, I think underground artists. Nobody makes any money. Well, there's these weird boutique labels, but they end up like packaging it different ways. And you know, like there's this new Prince of Denmark. Have you heard of him? It's the Tron Prince dude. No, no, no. On, on Geegling. I mean, he did a he put out this box set album, which is really good. But it's 23 tracks on eight vinyls uh, in December, and they were charging a hundred bucks for the for this eight bu- uh, eight vinyl box set thing, which is a pretty ballsy ass move. Of course, big time. And granted, it comes in like a fancy wooden box or something like that. So uh, there are costs involved, but it's, I don't know how many records they press. But the bottom line is, that's a, whatever you put in, I guess, is a big investment. But there's probably a hell of a lot of money coming back out of it. But that's what it comes down to, is finding fans that are willing to buy the box set with the t-shirt or whatever it is these days you know i I guess doing that is cool because it gives a little bit more longevity Mm -hmm. you know if if i think about the 90s the late 90s when i released a record let's say i had a big record out that record was hot for four to six months yeah people would come up to me yeah they can tour you can tour off that people ask me for it every set for like six months yeah now uh, the shelf life of of a of a successful big track is maximum a month yeah, then I it's, mean, then it's gone, and not even gone; it's forgotten. And yeah. this is really crazy. I, I really don't understand how the kids these days have such short-term memory. It's 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 mind-staggering. Yeah. Well, I, I you know I recorded an episode with uh, Joel Mall last week of this podcast. Didn't turn out, so that's why you're not seeing it on the internet. But anyway, that this talk came up, and one of the things that we were discussing is like I really feel bad because you have basically three sets of music well there's more than that but like the shit that's out right now that's hot that'll whatever go away in two to three weeks time yes the tracks that are really ancient that people play again just because they're cool like oh this was great let's play this hit again then there's the stuff that came out three months ago where it's like everybody forgets that it exists you know what i mean it's still a great track it didn't get worse by any means of course not. so or like stuff that let's say it's february now 
a track came out in October. I, I'm never going to play it again because I forgot that it came out. But it's probably awesome. <laughs> of you know course, what I mean? of course, and of course. So the tracks that just recently came out are probably in the most danger of be, being ignored, in yes. my theory. You know? Yes, and but having but what is also really interesting with having so much new music come out all the time. For example, I think Beepo does five thousand new releases every week. The good thing with this is that if you are a DJ that does his or her homework and you have your own style, that means that you have your own sound, mm-hmm. and it's very likely that uh, it's very unlikely that there will be many other DJs playing the same style as you. Mm-hmm. Whereas back in the days when you had only vinyl, you know there was like ten labels that were hot, and a lot of DJs played the same tracks all the time. It's yeah. still, I mean, it still happens today. You know, if you know. You know, you go to to techno gig. You know, many people play play, play drum record. code stuff. You know, yeah. but um, but if you are a DJ that does his homework, there's much more out there right now, and 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 I think that's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you 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 make an interesting point. There's some times where I go to a venue and the opening DJ is playing, and I'm like, what in the hell is this guy playing? Um, I guess in that connotation, it'd be like in a bad way, but I'm, I'm not saying every <laughs> opening DJ shitty, but you're just like, I don't even know where they, where you get these kind of records. You know what I mean? Or, or MP3s. But then it could be the other way where you go out and you hear someone amazing. And you're like, where do you get these kind of tracks? Exactly. And, exactly. and this does happen. This does yeah. Happen. Yeah. People, you know, like I, I did a drum code uh, type show in Switzerland, not too long ago. And some of the guys were like, where are, you, where are you getting these tracks from? And I'm like, I, for me, I think it's really obvious where this stuff comes out or who it is. But we all look in different places still, like whether it's on Beatport exactly. or Hard Wax or, you know. And and, and we look into different um, producers as well. And, yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, we could sit, we could turn the mics off and go listen to records. You'd be like, ah, you got to send me this shit. I don't have any. Because like, we're, we're not looking in the in the same places. And that's... That's what keeps it kind of interesting. So. And, and and that is good because back in the, like I said, you know, 10, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we all had, you know, much more limited amount of music. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I'm sure you would remember like when the whole minimal thing came around in like 2006 or seven when the height happened, it was a really bizarre time because it didn't matter if it was you, Adam Bear, Chris Liebing, Loka Dice, everybody who was playing the same shit, they'd play like Audion or the Minus thing, or you know, more or less, you know what I mean? Very true, yes. It's yes. like everybody was playing the same 20 tracks, whereas now everybody's playing wildly different, you know? Very, so, very true, very true. Yeah, funny stuff. The, the, those were funny times, that, that, that minimal. I, I, looking back at it, I, I gave into it a little bit, but I I never really loved it. It's just this was also the time I did the Total Departure track for, yeah. with, with John Selway that came out of Drum Code, and it was basically it was right the opposite of Metal. Oh yeah, it was, but it was massive. I, yeah, it was it was big. It was big, but um, it's just nice to do to go the opposite direction. You know, yeah. this is also how I feel right now. For example, <clears throat> often when I produce stuff, I, I look at you know some very successful, what is really popular now, and I try to go right the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, pro- popular production techniques, uh, sweeps, or like stabs at the end of the break. I try to go right the opposite exactly. direction, and that inspires me. It's, just, it's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it's easy to be like, okay, uh, Paul Wolfer did well on this piano track. I should use a piano, yeah. and it could work. But 
then I'm just like, all right, well, the piano is off the table for the next eight months. Um, now we're going to use, uh, I don't know, a kalimba or some shit. I don't know. but No, no but I, I think it's okay to get, to, to get inspired by, by one producer or by oh, a track. Oh, 100%, man. As long as you don't copy it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, I, you know, like, for example, uh, some of these labels, it's like every release kind of sounds like the last one in a way where it's like very that's, that's incestuous. A, that's a real problem. You know, it's like... Yeah. And, What's crazy also is that some of these labels tend to do really well. Yeah. Why? Because they're predictable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and people are sheep. Unfortunately, 90% or 80% of, of all the kids out there, they, listen, they like what they're being told to like. Mm-hmm. And you, you shove it down their throats enough, enough, they will like it. You know? and, and that's, but that's kind of always been the case. Of course. You know, I mean, with even with and rock and, and roll. Yes, absolutely. And, absolutely. So. The whole sheep movement. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Anyway, it is time to get you to the airport now. Yes, it is. So thanks for coming over and doing this. Kind of a cool last-minute thing. My pleasure. I think we did all right without any preparation. I think so. I think so, yes. yes. So, all right, man. Have a good one and enjoy, uh, what is it, Bosnia tonight? Bosnia, yes. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye.